All right, so uh, this is cross part two uh, of the curriculum, How People Change. So we are working through that three trees diagram, which you can hardly see on the board, <laughs> at least I can hardly see. And uh, we've spent a couple weeks talking about the, the thorn bush, that is the, the, the way in which we tend to sinfully respond uh, to the circumstances of life, both the trials and the blessings, uh, that the, the deeds of the flesh tend to flow out of us. Uh, in our lives, and uh, because of the trouble that that causes for us, we we experience the heartache, we experience the guilt and the shame, and um, the the emotional struggles of that. And then, of course, that bleeds over into our relationships, and there's brokenness uh, in our relationships with others. And so, we all desperately want to grow and change. We we don't like how we are. We don't like the way that we uh, respond to things, and so we want to grow and change. And so. Uh, that's what we've been seeking to do. And, and last week we started the conversation of how Christ and His work on the cross brings about a fundamental transformation in us that puts us in a position where now we can grow and change. Where we don't have to sin the way that we are used to sinning, the, the way that we've cultivated habits of sinning. But now we can actually choose by the power of the Spirit, the, the renewed heart that we've been given, a new way of living, a way of living that's like Christ. And so today we're, we're going to just press into that even further uh, and then just get more and more practical as things move along in the next few weeks. So uh, just to remind you, so that's just a, a brief overview of where we're at. But, uh, you know, we, we talk about, we've been talking about these three trees in many ways, as though they're kind of distinct things, like, okay, there's one part of your life, or, or sorry, one, one moment in your life where you're like all thorns, thorns everywhere, and then there's the other part of your life where you're after Christ, and now it's just fruit everywhere. Well, we all know that's not true, right? <laughs> that uh, because we're in sin-cursed bodies, but also because of the work of Christ in us, there's a mixture in us. There's aspects of our life which, by the grace of God, are beautiful fruit that God is sanctifying us and growing us and producing the fruit of the Spirit in us and the character of Christ. But then there's also those aspects of life that are thorny. So it's not all of one or all of the other, as much as we might want to be all of the other, but that won't come until Christ returns or we see him face to face. It's a mix. And so really the, the picture, take this with me, the picture that Scripture gives us it's not that we go from this, from, from the thorny bush to, okay, now we come to Christ and all of a sudden we're the new tree. Actually, what happens is uh, we have been cut off of the old life and we have been grafted. Uh, this is not going to look like anything. Uh, <laughs> we have been grafted, that's a branch, into Christ. And because we are now grafted into the vine, right? He is the vine, we are the branches. Now we bear fruit as a vine in Christ. Does that make sense, on, at least on a visual level? We're grafted into Christ, and, and uh, it's because of our attachment to Him, our union with Him, that we uh, experience the, the power that comes by the Holy Spirit, uh, the motivation to grow and change, and... Uh, move forward in what the Spirit is doing in our lives. So just to 
uh, assert that and, and to remind you of that reality that Paul talks about in Romans chapter uh, 11 that we've been grafted into Christ. Now, we're going to watch the video. It's a two, a 20 minute video. And then we'll just uh, uh, revisit those concepts as we look at Ephesians uh, 4 and 5 and perhaps some other passages just to talk about in light of what is true about us in Christ, in light of who we are in Christ, our new identity, how should that affect then how we live and how we grow and change? Well, that wasn't convicting. <laughs> oh, so, such helpful um, truth, isn't it? Um, if you have your Bible, go over to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll start there. Uh, well, we won't start there. I'll, we'll get there. Uh, I, I want to start with this. Uh, Romans chapter 12, don't turn there. Uh, just read the verse real quick. Romans chapter 12, you're familiar with what Paul says as he transitions from his declaration of the gospel in verses 1 to 11 to uh, the implications of the gospel in verses 12 to 16. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you're like me, and I, and I think you are, our tendency, because of the impact of sin in our lives and in our hearts, is to live instinctually. We just kind of live day by day, we go through each day, and we just kind of do what seems right and natural, and we don't think about how we're living. You know, what, what he talked about, those two different scenarios, that, that first scenario is, I'm just going to live based on what flows out of me. The second scenario is, I need to think about what's about to happen as I drive home, right? One is thoughtless, the other is thoughtful. The thoughtless way of living, which is so natural to all of us, is... Uh, living out of our flesh, right? And when we live out of our flesh, when we live according to what's natural to us, that means we're going to uh, live based on what are the loudest voices in our life. And the loudest voices in our life, certainly before we come to Christ, and many times even after Christ, the loudest voices in our life are Three, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are so bombarded from the outside, and we're so bombarded from the inside with messages like, I, just, I deserve comfort, right? I'm entitled to what I want. Uh, my children must obey me, and I should have to exert the least amount of energy possible you know, for them to, to do that. Um, you know, my boss at work should appreciate me when I just, you know, do my normal work. I shouldn't have to 
you know, go the extra mile or whatever. We, we have these thoughts that, that rise within, within us in our own flesh, our self-centered thinking. We have the world telling us what, uh, what life should be like, that we should be able to, you know, have the latest car and have the nicest clothes and, you know, enjoy those great vacations. And the world is bombarding us with messages about what life should be like. And we're like, yeah, yeah, that is what life should be like. And again, we grow in entitlement uh, in those things. And that's how we, we become conformed to the world. Again, that's, that's our natural state as unbelievers. And so, depending on when you come to Christ, you, know, you live your life and, and you're, just, you're just part of the world, so you're naturally conformed to it. But then even when we become believers, when Christ saves us, even when he cuts off the power of sin in terms of giving us the ability to choose righteousness, even when he opens our minds to the truth, we still have all of those ways of thinking inside of us, right? We have those habits of just living and responding and instincts that we just knee-jerk react to situations according to what we're used to. And if we don't stop and think, and renew our mind, we're just going to keep being conformed to the world. So the longer that we live, the, the older that we get, the more we're you know, exposed to just the things of this world, the more our flesh is cultivated in our own hearts, we're just being more and more conformed to this world. And that's what explains all of the thorns that come out of us. And so Paul is saying here in Romans 12, don't be conformed, stop being conformed conform to this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is really the challenge of the Christian life. Uh, it's not so much that uh, the Christian life is intellectually difficult to understand, right? It's not like, well, some of you won't agree with this. It's not like calculus. <laughs> some of you think calculus is a piece of cake. Um, but for the rest of us, uh, it's not like some you know, esoteric um, thing that, that we just can't wrap our minds around. Uh, the Christian life is very simple. It's laid out in clear terms in Scripture in terms of what is God's design for us, uh, what, what is the way that He's designed for us to live and the things that He, he wants us to think. Uh, the, the difficulty is that we actually have to think. <laughs> Right? It's like telling a, a child who just doesn't want to do their math homework. And, it's, and they know it. You know, they know their addition. They know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. They just have 20 times that they have to do it. <laughs> but they just don't want to do it. Right? They don't want to put forward that effort. They want to go off and do something else. Again, that's part of the curse of sin in us. That when it comes to the Christian life, it's not that it's complicated. Is that there's something in us that's just like it should just be easy. I shouldn't have to work, you know, for for change. I shouldn't have to think hard about uh, my life. So that's why we desperately need the Holy Spirit in our life to to give us that desire and the will, as Paul talks about in Philippians two twelve and thirteen, right? To, when he says to work out your own salvation because, because God is at work in you both to will, to give you the desire, and to work, to give you the ability uh, to work for his glory. So, uh, all, all that to say, um, I just want to affirm the importance that what we're doing in this class, what we're doing in this hour, is what we need to be doing day in and day out. 
We need to be renewing our minds according to the truth. We need to be thinking the way that God calls us to think. And so, uh, so let's go over now to Ephesians. Hopefully you're already there. And I just want to point out some of the kinds of things that we need to be thinking. Now, this is just going to be a sampling with the time that we have left today. But we need to think daily, regularly, about who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, and what that means then for our lives. I've said it before, I'm pretty sure, the gospel is not just what you need to know to become a Christian. The gospel is the motivation and the model for change. And we see that time and time again. We've, we've talked about the process of change from chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. And, and we looked at the different examples of how Paul um, exemplifies that put off, renew the mind, put on process in verses 25 to 32. But go back there to 32. So we'll just jump in. I will start at 31. Uh, there at the very end of the chapter. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, just pause there for a second. If, if God had given us that passage, and of course we have commands like that all over the New Testament in various epistles of Paul, we have... The example of Christ, uh, where he did those things, where he, manif- he treated others in those ways. Uh, that, that would be a good instruction, right? That would be a helpful thing. Okay, that's what God calls me to do. But when you think about those very things, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, and you think about what are the circumstances in life that bring those out of us, why would I ever be bitter towards someone? Uh, why would I ever feel wrath towards someone? Uh, under what circumstances would there be clamor in the home? You know, just a loud noise in the home uh, that, that's uh, exemplified by people arguing and, and making noise together. Uh, what circumstances of life would slander ever come out of my mouth? You think about those kinds of scenarios, maybe you can think very specifically about things in your own life, or you can imagine what they could be. Those are not easy situations, right? Those are not um, uh, moments in life where we are thinking with a clear head, (laughs) where uh, we're able to, to step back in the moment, and just say, wait a minute, what's going on here? Let me think about this, right? No, those are moments, when those things are coming out of us, when we are so hot in the head, if you will, uh, where we're so stressed in our minds, that those things just flow as a matter of the flesh coming out. And so when he says, okay, don't do those things, but verse 32, be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving, That's extraordinarily difficult. Not to say impossible, but extraordinarily difficult. So, again, if that was all we had, we'd be like, all right, I'll try. (laughs) 
next time, you know, my kids do something next time, my spouse does something next time, somebody, you know, at work does something, I, I'm going to be kind. The problem is that happens and <laughs> you forget, right? <laughs> it all goes out the window. So how do we, how do we get ourselves in a position where we can actually obey that command? Well, I think the key is the last phrase. As God in Christ forgave you. Again, so much of our life we're not thinking. Uh, we're not thinking about the truth. We're not thinking about uh, who we are in Christ. We're not actively dwelling on what Christ has done for us. And so when we get in our, into those situations where we're tempted to blow up in anger, the last thing that's on our mind is the gospel. <laughs> So what Paul is saying here is you need to be actively thinking about the fact that you have been forgiven in Christ. You need to consider and ponder your, your own sin that led to Christ's sacrifice on your behalf. You need to consider that the wrath of God that was mounting on you and recognize the, the magnificent work of Christ where all of that wrath was taken away because it was placed on Christ and it's no longer on you. And, and you've been forgiven and you've been set free and your sin has been separated as far as from the east as from the west from you and, and you're righteous now in Christ. And the more that we dwell on that and meditate on that and allow that to to reign in our hearts and give rise to praise to God in day in and day out. You know, we, we not only maybe read a passage of Scripture in the morning where we're reminded of that you know, in our devotions and then close it up and, okay, thank you, Lord, and move on with the rest of the day, but know that somehow in various ways that continues to be on your mind, whether through music that you have in the background or just through personal intentional meditation of, of a verse of Scripture like this one or others, or some way that these truths are just ruminating in your heart and your mind throughout the day, then when you get into a situation where someone sins against you, you are so full of the joy of the Lord because of the forgiveness that you have in Christ, that though you may well be tempted <laughs> to respond in anger, there is yet a new strength in you to be able to respond in a way that's pleasing to Christ. To be kind-hearted, to be tender, to be forgiving. That only happens if we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Okay, now look at the next verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Okay, Paul, that's, that's, that's a command you've given me, to imitate God. It's like when Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> I'll try it, I'll fail, right? Well, verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the imitation of God that we're supposed to live out, which is then is exemplified by the command to love, is motivated by and modeled by the way in which Christ has loved us. And, and did you see what he said about that? That Christ loved us, that he gave himself up for us. Okay, so he, he sacrificed himself for me, so that's, that's the kind of love that I'm supposed to have for others. 
Right? Paul says to husbands in chapter at the, uh, in verse 25, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. So the kind of love Paul's talking about is a sacrificial love for the benefit, for the good of another per- person. But even that is not all that Paul says. He, he doesn't simply say, die to yourself like Christ died to himself for you because that's what Christ did and leaves it at that. No, he goes on to say that Christ did it as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We just use one word, worship. Jesus sacrificed himself. He loved us by giving up himself as an act of worship to God. So when we love others, and by implication, those who are hard to love, those that require sacrifice on our part to love, the mindset that we ought to have, like Christ, is to is to sacrifice, is to love as an act of worship to God. We all know that one of the things that makes love, loving someone so difficult to love so hard is that we want to say, but they don't deserve it. <laughs> right? They, they haven't earned it. Um, and Paul is saying here, it has nothing to do with them. <laughs> it has everything to do with God that you love others as an act of worship to God because that's what Jesus did. And he did that for you. Again, these are the truths that we need to have running around in our minds so that when we face those difficult situations of what it looks like to love another person, we're thinking about how Christ has loved us who were his enemies uh, and, and how he did it as an act of worship to God. Just, I'm just skipping here for the sake of time. Let's jump down, jump down to verse 22. Uh, wives, uh, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, now we're not going to, you know, there's a whole, obviously a whole lot we could say about this. I'm just going to broad brush this and just stick uh, with, a, with a plain meeting. There's a lot of nuance we could add. But uh, wives, God calls you to submit to, to follow the leadership of your husbands. Well, your husband is a sinner. <laughs> uh, I know my wife's husband is a sinner. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> And uh, at least in my wife's experience, following a sinner is not the easiest thing to do. Right? So God is not calling wives, hey, do what's easy and just submit to your husband whenever he's being that wonderful Christ-like figure in your life. No, he's calling you to submit to your husband even though he is, in fact, a sinner. And again, not because of who he is, that he himself intrinsically deserves to be submitted to and and, and followed, Uh, but rather because you're following a pattern of the relationship between Christ and the church. Uh, That's all I'll say about that for now. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, every husband is married to a sinner. 
And so the model that Paul uses, just as with wives to husbands here, is, is that we are to love our husbands, or sorry, we are to love our wives as uh, Christ has loved sinners. And so we're not being asked to do anything that Christ hasn't already done for us. You know, he did it that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with a word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So she might be holy and without blemish. So the, the corresponding to that, as husbands, we ought to love our wives such that we promote their flourishing. We promote their holiness. We promote their sanctification. We promote their good uh, in, in Christ and in marriage. And so it's, it's disastrous when, when we don't do that, when we do the opposite of that. Uh, but again, because our wives are sinners, that's not easy, right? That's not easy. And, and we're sinners, and so it's, none of it is easy. But we're, we're compelled by the example uh, of Christ to imitate that, uh, that way of being. Uh, look at chapter 6, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. So if, if we can just blow this up in terms of uh, expand the uh, application to anyone who's under authority, uh, there's many other passages we could turn to, Romans chapter 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, and others, that we are to submit ourselves to the authorities above us. The, the repeated New Testament imperative is not just that we submit but that we submit to the authorities as we would be submissive to christ recognizing that the authorities above us are aren't perfect that they are themselves cursed by sin perhaps structured you know because of the curse of sin so it's not just the individuals are sinners it's also that the structures are cursed by sin and so the whole system is a system that is difficult to submit to. And yet that's exactly what we're called to do. And we're called to do it not because there's intrinsic you know, goodness and whatever in, in, in the authority, but rather because that authority has been put there by God. And so our act of submission is really an act of submission to God himself. And we do that, again, all, all based on the reality of what God has done for us uh, in Christ. Now I think um, I think I've probably used this passage before, but let me just go there again because it's just always on my heart and mind, and uh, I would love for it to be on yours as well. Go, go over to First Peter chapter two. So kind of along this theme of, of submission to authorities in First Peter chapter two. Starting verse 13, Peter talks about being subject to every human institution, uh, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. He talks to servants, to slaves, to submit their ma- to their masters. Eventually, chapter 3, he'll talk to wives and to husbands. So a lot of the same themes. But here, the particular emphasis that Peter places is on in the context of unjust suffering so again living in a world that's cursed by sin in in a world where we are constantly faced with injustice on a personal relational level as well as a structural governmental uh, uh, 
economic level. That's, that's the context that Peter is writing about. And so he says, um, verse 19, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Uh, essentially saying this is a gift of grace from God, that one has the ability to endure sorrow while suffering unjustly. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Again, this is a, a gift of grace. Uh, it, it's something that, is, uh, that God looks upon and has favor, but also is produced by Him as an act of grace in, in our lives. Well, how, how do we endure unjust suffering? And today's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We'll uh, emphasize that um, during the service. How do believers around the world who face unspeakable suffering, how do they endure unjust suffering? Well, verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His steps. We endure unjust suffering by remembering Christ. By thinking about what Christ has suffered for us. And by looking to it, not just as a, as a way of saying thanks, thank you Jesus for enduring suffering on my behalf, but rather looking at it and saying, how can I follow that example? What would it look like in my circumstances, in a very concrete way, to imitate Christ? Christ. And specifically, the thing he calls us to model there at the end of verse uh, 23 is that Jesus kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So there's a mindset of who God is and what God is going to do in terms of the, the vengeance that he will work out on the earth, the, the condemnation he will bring to evildoers, and so we can trust that the Father will judge uh, those who uh, mistreat us. Uh, in his perfect way, in his perfect time. And it's on the basis of that reality that then we can endure unjust suffering. And of course, he has a lot more to say besides that. So my, my whole point in all of this is that we have to think. We have to meditate on the truth. This is why the scripture continually calls us to, to have the truth ruminating in your mind, to be dwelling on the truth, to, be, to let the, the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians chapter 1 or 2 or 3. Um, <laughs> um, we, we just have to be filled with the Word of God so that the truth of who Christ is and what He's done for us is in us, it's, it's uh, uh, transforming us, it's guiding us, so that when we face those concrete situations which you and I face every single day, in which we're tempted to respond in a sinful way, we have in our minds not just the, the joy of knowing what Christ has done for us, but we have the example that we can follow in Christ in our lives. And I praise God that we live in a day that uh, not only do we have the Word of God so easily accessible to us in written and audio and every other form that we can imagine, uh, but we have an uh, incredible amount of music 
that's been written by saints that points us constantly to Christ and sets our minds on the truth. Uh, we have one another that when we find ourselves in a difficult position where we just, we, we, we know what we need to know, but we just need someone else to tell us, <laughs> we can ask someone, tell me again what I already know about Christ. Uh, we can go to one another and speak the truth and love to one another. But we just need to keep building into our hearts and minds the, the truth of the gospel so that its richness and its fullness would then flow out of us into a fruit-filled life. We could um, impose into all of this uh, the, the various identities that we have in Christ. That because of what Christ has done, you know, that we're justified, that we're adopted, that we're redeemed, that we are new creatures in Christ, um, that we're saints. Uh, there's all of these identities that are true about us because of what Christ has done for us that we need, again, we need to build into our lives. We need to clothe ourselves with every single day. You know, like a, a military, a person in the military, a soldier or a uh, a law enforcement officer who puts on their uniform and there's, there's a distinct sense when you're wearing the uniform of who you are <laughs> and what your place is in this world. We need to wear our identity in Christ and put that on every single day. That's why Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the armor of God. That's effectively what he's saying. Put on the truth of who you are in Christ. That's what the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the belt of truth, and the gospel of peace, the shoes of the gospel of peace, um, sword of the Spirit. We need to be putting that on day in and day out. Uh, none of this is, I've got to work for my sanctification in the sense of I've got to uh, earn it. It's all because of what Christ has done. I need, to, I need to remember and believe what God has already said, what God has said is true about me already. And just have that overwhelm all of those false messages that I'm t tempted to tell myself. And overwhelm the messages that are coming in from the world around me of who I think, uh, who the world thinks I should be. So I, I hope that's helpful um, and uh, that this is why sanctification is a lifelong process because we're constantly in that battle between the messages of the world, the flesh, and the devil and, and what God's Word says is true. We're constantly needing to apply the truth of Scripture to the details of our lives and because our lives are constantly changing, there's always new opportunities to apply the truth to the new details of life and new dynamics and situations and relationships. Uh, but this this is what God calls us to. This is how we grow and change. We take the Word of God, we bring it into our mind, cultivate the mind of Christ, and then we begin to live it out with the power of the Spirit uh, for the glory of God. All right, let me uh, pray.